14 are in, now to the auxiliary gate. You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. Secretariat is widening now. He is moving like a tremendous machine. Secretariat by 12. Brandon Jaggers. And Scrappy T comes away with the lead, but a Fleet Alex is taking a bullet. Oh, Scrappy T blew the turn, and a Fleet Alex Jaffe Rose almost fell out of the saddle. A dramatic occurrence at the top of the stretch. And me, CC Broadus. Flavion Pratt and Flightline are an embarrassing lead. It must be 15 lengths as they turn for home now. And take a good look at this because you're not going to see this too often. Maybe never again. Flightline, 20 lengths clear. The auxiliary gate, big problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Episode number 118 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. We're recording this on Friday, September the 9th, one day before Kentucky Downs has its probably its biggest day ever. A uh, couple million dollar races, maybe a third million dollar race. I'm going to have to dig into that a little bit later, but uh, big, big day of racing. But I'm joined, as always, by Alan Schneider. Alan, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm great. I, uh, Kind of embarrassed. I just was looking for beer in the refrigerator, and there was something called a Mick Ultra Pure Gold in there. I think my future son-in-law left in there, and like, oh my god, this is awful. I'm embarrassed to be drinking it, but it's here in my hand, and the other stuff's downstairs. So I guess I'll just suffer through it. So bear with me, brother. But probably better what I'm going to drink. I've got a raspberry vodka mixed with lemonade. I don't feel so bad now. Yeah. Damn, it's good though. Our guest is not going to like the sound of this. I think he's quite the beer aficionado, but yeah, yeah, I am too to some extent. But I mean, I'm I am moderately embarrassed by this. Hey, what are you going to do, right? It's here in front of me, so what the hell? As the guy from River Down says, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me instead of a frontal lobotomy. <laughs> it's actually really good. I, forgot I really like that. <laughs> Kevin Gomer, maybe I can't remember. Some some guy from River Down used to say that back in his. Uh, pre-game analysis. But anyway, uh, before we get to our guest, who's Joe Christofek from uh, Twinspires.com, Churchill Downs. You, you obviously know who he is. but uh, The we're going Joe, Cru- Joe Christofek. The, right? the, the, the Joey Decay. But uh, before we get to him, uh, we're going to hit on one topic first. And, of course, that's the the, the topic du jour, du jour of the, uh, the week, and that's Flightline winning the Pacific Classic. That was one of the uh, – more eye-catching efforts that you'll ever see in any type of horse race. It actually took my breath, but uh, we've had some time to pontificate on on what happened and uh, and where he fits in the pantheon of of American racing. And I'm going to throw it to you. What uh, what were your initial thoughts? And then, given a few days, what uh, where do you where do you stand on uh, where Flightline fits in with the the best of all time? I I haven't heard about this. What was this? Did this happen this week or something? Yeah, you're yeah. probably busy. You're probably busy. <laughs> Actually, technically, obviously, I'm joking. Uh, technically, I was. I did not see it like everyone else did. I was at the Kentucky football game. If you've ever been, I know it's like Louisville football games or Kentucky football games, getting service. 
around that stadium, inside the stadium is tough. And uh, so I think at halftime I finally was able to get out of my phone. And then I, you know, I just happened to see like 10 million tweets or texts or something about what happened. And so I didn't know exactly what had occurred until later on. I actually got to see a strike trying like, whoa, <laughs> uh, that was something else. I finally did get to watch the entire replay. And, uh, you know, I haven't been the biggest flight line supporter. I just, that doesn't interest me as much as it does some people. But uh, sometimes you have to take a step back and go, hey, look, man, you got to put your thoughts aside and actually appreciate what you just saw. That was <laughs> that was incredible. It's just as impressive anything I've seen, right, And in real time. Um, I'm, I'm still going to pump the brakes just a little bit. I mean, I think you always should. But if any replication of that come Breeders Cup Classic, um, you know, would obviously put you up at the very top, right? I mean, I'm not throwing the secretariat category yet, me personally. I have to know I have West Coast bias to begin with. But uh, Breeders' Cup Classic, I mean, does he win it? Let me ask you. Yeah, you're, you're more of an expert on this than I am. Well, yeah, I think the Breeders' Cup Classic is going to present a terrific wagering opportunity. Really? If this if this horse runs, I'm hoping so? he does run because uh, on Thoroughgraph he earned a negative, I believe, eight point two five. Yeah, that, that's incredible. <laughs> that is the fastest Thoroughgraph figure ever recorded. How and much did it break? The, how much did it beat the old one by? That I don't know. What's that now? How much did it beat the, the previous uh, lowest fig ever? I, not by much. Dreaming of Julia is in the top three. She ran a negative really? seven. You remember that race she ran in the yeah. Gulfstream Park Oaks? Yeah. She won by like a million lengths. And I guess your argument is she bounced in the Oaks, right? She was never the same. Play. Never the same. That's a good but point. But now she was a, three, a young three-year-old filly. So, you know, that she that, that was probably too much too soon. And then they, they didn't really go on with her. I don't think she raced at four. But uh, the the other one that I think is either second or third, it was frosted in the Met Mile. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of a like the the, the highlight, of the, the high point of his career, right? I don't know if he ever replicated anything close to that. Well, yeah, what happened to him next? He ran in the the Whitney and he against a bunch of probably grade two, grade three types, and he was one to five, as mm-hmm. I recall. Yeah, raised up on the outside, looked like an easy winner, and he just kind of hung. And they beat him. Now that was going, that was an eighth of a mile longer. But again, he bounced to the moon in that effort. I just think, you know, that monster effort, the fastest third graph figure of all time off of a, what, a three month layoff? Yeah. He's, that's got to take a toll. Now he may have one more in him, but we'll find well, out. I think the well, horse bounced and, you know, that, it, it, if life is good goes in the classic, then I think, you know, you're going to get a hot pace and it could set up for somebody. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but, uh, I, I think there's a, there's an opportunity to make, maybe take a stand against him. Well, let me ask you this. Cause again, I mean, I would, I'm all for beating horses like that. And I know it's, you know, everybody's gaga and stuff. And, you know, to me, off the top of my head right now, I think the classic is a pass, but with your logic, I can see playing because I'm always looking for prices. And uh, you don't think that the effort was – didn't look like he took a lot out of him. You know, 159.2, but it looked like he was doing it easily. Pratt yeah. never really had to truly, truly ask him, does that factor into your bounce equation at all? Now, you, horses that run that fast, it just it, – it takes a toll on them at some point. 
just don't, you don't know when, but it's coming. I mean, look at Airgate. Airgate ran True. that big race in Dubai. I don't think he was ever the same after that, was he? He made a, uh, he ran at, uh, Del Mar. They said he didn't like Del Mar, but that might have been a situation where he just, he ran too big of a race in Dubai. I don't know. So, so if you think he is beatable, and I'm all for that, I, what you've got to be slobbering at the possibility of playing somebody else in the classic, right? Because you're going to get inflated odds because he's going to be one to two if you're lucky. Unless life is good goes, maybe life is good takes a little bit of money. But you can get inflated prices on a lot of really good horses. So with your logic in mind, who strikes your fancy at a crazy number? Well, that's the problem. I, I you know, it, I don't know. I think life is good has to go. He can't be a six horse field. You know, if life is good ducks him, that's going to be a real disappointment. But uh, you throw life is good in there. That, that's that's you're guaranteed a hot pace in that race, and then mm-hmm. then we're going to find out what he's really made of. And you know, I I, I don't know at, at this point. I think Taba is a horse that interests me. I mean, it, the horse won the Santa Anita Derby off uh, right one start. And it probably should have won the Haskell in start number four. Got beat by a really good ride by Florent Giroux that day, I will say that. Right. I, I think that's the one that I'm very interested in. But like I said, that's two months off. So. Let me ask you this. Uh, let's continue to play a touch of devil's advocate here before we get to Joe. Um, if you had a, a horse who has, likes to be up front, we all know um, Olympia likes to run that same trip every time, and he's a master at it. If you're a horse that likes to run up front, do you bypass this race more so than a horse that would come from the back? And because if you're going to be you're going to be hooked up front with maybe these guys, right? So you would want to pass, or do you think it'd be more apt to be a closer trying to classic, or more apt to be a, a speed horse trying to classic with these I two guys that, in mind? I think you want to be a closer and just try to pick up the pieces. I mean, it still was it one one million dollars for second place, right? And you could also make the argument too that if Flightline does go and he does run the figure, he could burn up life as good, creating value in the exotics. Correct? That uh, you can make that argument as well yeah. too. If those two ran one two around the track, if they were to go, that would be amazing. The worst part is you get the Clark handicap is going to be three weeks later. You're going to have horses that they're probably going to skip the classic just to run in the Clark, like Maxfield did last year. It'd been nice to see Maxfield run in the in the classic and the Clark both, but it, it, the races are now too close together. Not like they were 20 years ago. Uh, you're either going to make one or the other. So you probably piss some people off who uh, are just saying flight lights, the second coming of Christ, you know, well, uh, and well, that's okay. It, this game, this game is about differing opinions. I don't have as much of an opinion. I'm like hearing the fact that you do have a solid opinion. Let's, let's touch on that real quick though. I, I will freely admit when I watched the race, I, when he made that move and started drawing off, I thought of one horse and you know, which horse that is. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, I was like, that was, as close to secretariat as I've seen probably in my lifetime. Now, a few days later, you realize what secretariat did. He won, he, he, that Belmont stakes, he won by 26 links or excuse me, 31 links, 31 links and and set a, a course record track record that still stands today, 224 for a mile and a half. And he did it after running in the Derby and the Preakness and setting setting a record that still stands today in the Derby. And probably a track record in the Preakness had the, had the clock not malfunctioned. And don't forget, the Derby win was two weeks after he finished third in the Wood Memorial, and everybody said he, he couldn't he couldn't go nine furlongs, much less ten furlongs, where he was beaten by Angle Light and Sham. 
Yeah, so, uh, let's, yeah, don't come at me with the Sarah, Secretariat talk yet because I know Secretary be quote as I like to say quote unquote tomato cans whatever in in the Belmont, but it's how he did it, the time that he did it, and after the repeated after those races right on top of each other, you know, at, at grueling distances. So it's almost like like the field secretary beat is almost irrelevant, right? It's how he did it coming off those races. And then secretary, he did it on turf. Yeah. He did it on dirt. You know, he he won the, uh, I guess what what's called today the Canadian International at a mile and a half I forget on the grass. That. I forget that. And uh, he also won the Man of War. And then he also beat the previous year's Derby winner in the, I think it was the Marlboro Cup, beat Reba Ridge. Uh, Secretariat, you know, he's an all-timer. I, I, you know, and I don't think you can uh, match flight line up with spectacular bid even. Not see yet. Slew or a firm. Not, not yet. No, I mean, I, mean, I don't know. What can he do, though? And uh, He can sprint. He could probably, I'd say a mile and a half would be no problem from what I saw the other day. Yeah, but that's not never going to happen. I, I never going to happen. Better comparison would be to compare him to Ghost Zapper, who many hold is, you know, probably the, one of the best race horses the last 25 years. I think that would be a more apt comparison. Agreed. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll find out here hopefully in two months. Hopefully, hopefully he'll run one more time. And, uh, I, you know, I can't wait. I, I was excited to watch the race last Saturday and that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, even the aftermath is like, wow. I mean, you just, you witness greatness and, you know, that, that's, Few and far between. I I think this horse would blow the doors off of American Pharaoh. Oh yeah, I, that I don't doubt. But let me ask you this real quick. Uh, there's this, all this stuff about horse racing and stuff not promoting itself. Here's the problem: the general public does know a horse like Rich Strike. Who we love, Rich Strike. He's not in this horse's you know solar system, but the public knows Rich Strike because of the Derby. The general public does not know Flightline. They do not. They don't understand. They don't know. What can racing do to promote? A, Someone like this, because we all know this horse is special. But again, if you ask ten people who know a modicum about horse racing, they're going to know Rich Strike. They're not going to know Flightline. What? What is there anything racing can do? Well, of course there is to promote this potential superstar. Well, that race should have been on TV. It should yeah, have been yeah, on. A, should have been on Fox or ABC or something. That, that's that's where racing has lost its way in the last twenty years. Is they don't. It's not on TV anymore. Yeah. Just the big days, the the triple crown races, and then the uh, the uh, Breeders' Cup. You know, back when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties, there was a weekly racing program on ESPN. They'd have a race of the week. They'd show maybe the Super Derby or or the Whitney or or something like that. And you'd get to know these horses every week. And of course, they ran a whole lot more back then too. Yeah. You know, Flightline would run three more times this year back in nineteen eighty eight. You know, but uh but you all, agree with me, the general public doesn't know a damn thing about Flightline, right? No. Nope. They and they 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 probably do know they could probably name Rich Strike and that's about it. So yeah. Uh, yeah. again, opportunity lost, right? Opportunity lost. Uh right. we know what we saw though and, and such. So and again, I wasn't the biggest Flightline uh cheerleader, but you know, Kane's like, All right, maybe I was a little bit off on this one. All right, let's switch gears. Of course Kentucky Downs has a big day on Saturday. Uh, looking forward to that. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of racing, a lot of turf racing, 12 races. And then, of course, Churchill Downs opens next, uh, Thursday, I believe. And then the following Saturday features five stakes races and, and, and those races are going to have a big impact on the Breeders' Cup, I do believe. Uh, but, uh, to talk about that and a whole lot more, we're going to have Joe Christofek on and we'll get to him right after this. 
Auxiliary Gate Podcast presents You Make the Call. It was late 2021 when Brandon Jaggers of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast crew was interviewing celebrity racetrack announcer Jason Bean. Oh gosh, I had one uh, one question on the tip of my tongue and I've already forgot it as you were going into it, but um, I guess... It'll come back five minutes after we hang up. Yeah, yeah, of course. When we do the the after the post uh, the after post, show, yeah, yeah, post show. But um, I guess uh, when uh, uh, I guess uh, oh gosh, Craig Allen, you got any more? Because I, I forgot it. It's <laughs> so good. Was Brandon a unprepared for the interview? B spilling his beer, or C having an aneurysm? We'll have the answer for you right after this word from our sponsor, Banaka. Banaka, a men's mouth spray. When you put Banaka in your mouth, your mouth smells like Banaka. If you said A, Brandon was unprepared, you made the right call. And now, back to the show. Welcome back, and boy, we've got some good news. We are joined by the beautiful Brandon Jaggers. Brandon, how you doing? Hey, hi guys. It's been a while. I apologize. Uh, probably, uh, well, once this kid is born, I'll be back on a totally different schedule. Yeah, and I'm sure, sure you I will. I can join sure a lot will. more calls. Okay. So. <laughs> well, Brandon, I can't see you, but I'm imagining imagining you. In like a like a bright yellow polo shirt, and you're just like sitting there on your couch, and you're just handsome as ever. It's a good night. Yeah, I'm actually wearing my dad's uh, old uh, button down short sleeve nautical shirt. Okay, but close. yeah, you're close. It's uh, it's very close. Yeah, and out in the country, we call you people preps. <laughs> yeah, sports. All right, let's get to the uh, let's get to the matter at hand here. We we have our guest online. And this man needs no introduction, but I'll try to introduce him anyway. Of course, he's the uh, the host of the Churchill Downs Paddock Show, and he's also the head of the uh, or one of the heads of the Brilliant Racing Partnership. And he's just an all around great guy. And that's of course Joe Christofek. Joe, how are you doing? Um, Brandon got introduced as beautiful. Uh, I'll I'll take my introduction. I'm not sure if I'd rather have his or not. But it's always great to be on with you guys. I'm a regular listener of the show and uh, a big fan of what you guys do and happy to be on to talk about Brilliant, you know, being the founding member of that group and involved in all four previous partnerships leading up to this one and, uh, you know, Churchill, Fairgrounds and everything in between. So uh, happy to be on as always. Well, we're, we're glad you're here, Joe. Let's get right into uh, the, the Brilliant Racing Partnership. Of course, the September yearling sale at Keeneland starts Monday, and I'm going to try to sneak up there uh, late in the afternoon because that's a, that's a pretty cool deal when you're around all those uh, wealthy people with millions of dollars of uh, horse flesh changing hands. Uh, uh, the Brilliant Racing Partnership, I, I believe, is trying to attract some new members. And uh, I think you're going to try to be involved in this yearling sale. Is that correct? Yeah. So the first three partnerships, we did two-year-olds in training. And we had, you know, 
good degree of success with uh, Yes, Ginger and asking for it, some of the others, but we learned over time that these two-year-olds in training, you know, you, you've got a better idea of what you're getting, but at the same time, you don't because these horses come out of the sale, their brains are fried, you know, they're pushed very hard physically, and we like to be involved in the process from the very beginning. So last year, we decided to go the yearling route. You know, you buy the yearling, uh, they're a piece of clay that still needs to be molded. You know, you don't get to see any sort of a breeze, obviously, like you do when you buy a two-year-old, but you do get to decide where the horses go uh, to be broken. You're involved in the process from the very beginning. You're not, you know, necessarily looking at x-rays where they're trying to hold some, you know, hide some deficiencies, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, the sales game is a whole different world. You got to be careful who you buy from, who you're dealing with. There's a, there's certainly a learning curve, but we feel really good about the yearlings. We feel really good about the group of horses we bought for Brilliant Four and super excited about the yearling sale. We're going to buy a, a higher priced uh, Louisiana bread to try to take advantage of that program and a couple Kentucky breads. We know how great the racing is here day to day in Kentucky with the, the purses at Churchill, Kentucky Downs, uh, Turfway, obviously, and even to an extent now, Ellis Park, just great uh, year round racing, great program to be involved in. We love our trainers, Michelle Lovell and, uh, and Greg Foley and Matt Shiver's got a has, uh, horse for us too. And, um, yeah, we put in a lot of work, man, you know, between inspecting the horses and reviewing the pedigrees and trying to find some value with these sales. And it's super exciting when you go in and bid for a horse and that gavel drops and uh, you welcome a new member to the family. So there's a lot of partnerships out there. I mean, there's a ton of them. There's Little Red Feather. There's uh, My Race Horse. There's there's a bunch of them that – like my racehorse, I think they, they sell shares on a racehorse, $50 a share, and there's no telling how many shares they sell. And then there's, you know, the, the team valors of the world that, uh, probably they want a $100,000 investment for a share. And, uh, like the, uh, the Eclipse Thoroughbreds and whatnot, uh, uh, some of these partnerships, and I'm not naming names, but I, I'm aggravated at a lot of them because I think, uh, they take advantage of the, uh, the newbies that uh, want to buy into a to a racehorse and and they kind of use it as a as a means to for a secondary income. And uh, tell us about uh, tell us about how brilliant brilliant uh, manages its finances. I, I I find that to be the contrary of some of these uh, outfits. Yeah, I think you mentioned secondary income. I think a lot of these partnerships have several people on the payroll making three-figure salaries or six-figure salaries, excuse me, uh, which is great. It's a business for them. You know, some of these partnerships, you know, they, they operate at a much higher level than we do. And, you know, they have uh, clientele that can afford to be in that horse partnership tax bracket. And a lot of these groups have had a lot of success doing what they do. And, you know, when you're buying higher price horses, you put yourself in a better position to hit a home run with a, not only a great racehorse, but a great stallion, et cetera, et cetera. I think what, you know, what we like to promote is me as one of the founding members. And, you know, once I got hired by Churchill in 2018, you know, I'm no longer considered a managing partner, but still very involved in the day-to-day operations 
with uh, Natalie Gills and Brandon Staubel. And we basically do this because if we didn't, you know, we individually couldn't afford to own these horses. And we love being involved in the process. And it gives us an opportunity to go along on the horse ownership ride with a lot of other people and not pay monthly bills and, you know, not have all the expenses that you have when you own horses. It's very, very difficult, you know, to be successful doing this uh, from a financial standpoint. But quite honestly, I mean, you can promote the experience and you never know. I mean, we've had a multiple stakes winner. We've had a stakes placed horse. We've only had one horse in four years not make the races. Virtually every horse that we've had in the partnership, the first three years, they've all won with the exception of that one. We've got some nice prospects for Brilliant Four. And we do this because we love it. I mean, there, there are some management fees involved, but we don't upsell any of the horses that we buy. You buy a horse for 50000 you know, we collect the money up front. It goes back to the partnership as a $50,000 horse. Uh, we put a lot of time and effort into it, and I think, uh, you know, with the transparency and the communication, for somebody that's wanting to dip their toe into horse ownership, have interest in multiple horses, not pay bills for the better part of a year or 15 months. I mean, we've had three cash calls in the history of Brilliant Racing, which is now five years old, three 10% cash calls on the original investment and you get all the, you know, perks of horse ownership, the experience, you get to meet new people that have a like interest in, in what you have and, you know, develop relationships with the horses and watch them compete. And, uh, you know, to me and to us, that's what it's all about. Hey, I'd like to add something to, you know, being a part of the partnership. I, I think Joe, it goes without saying you guys put a ton of effort into it with Facebook messages, Facebook updates, training videos, even live broadcasts when the, the race is about to go, you know, unfold. And then the app, the post race commentary. And, you know, every month we get right. a great email with the, you know, what the cost is of doing business. It's very transparent. You all go to great strides to make it that transparent and fun. And when we race out of town, you really, still roll out a red carpet, try to accommodate everybody and everybody's needs, where they want to be, how they want to be. And uh, I can't say anything better than this is the the primo type of horse partnership to be in. Uh, I think the fees are are very nominal. They're very small. Uh, And I'm I'm very – I rule by the dollar. (laughs) But I think it's very, very fair. And I'm just – I appreciate what you all are doing, Joe, and to keep it up and – Sorry, I'm having this uh, yearling filly here in about two weeks, or else I'd be back in. <laughs> no, I, I love having you guys involved, and I think a big part of like it for me is doing the job that I do at Churchill, being a racing analyst and at fairgrounds as well. You know, I get to live the experience of these young horses, and it it really has helped me do my job better. Uh, it gives me an even greater perspective of you know, how these horses develop, what kind of challenges the managing partners, the trainers have in finding the exact right spot for their horse, distance, competition, surface, venue, 
Timing is so important when the horses are flourishing to try to get them in the right races. You know, then maybe you get a bad break from the gate or you don't get the greatest ride or situationally things don't work out. And, you know, there's going to be so many more disappointments than there are going to be high points in this game. It's just the nature of the beast. You know, we've won 17 out of 105 starts, I think, so far. You know, as a 15% owner, I think that's a really good percentage, uh, especially competing, you know, on the bigger stages at Churchill, Keeneland, Fairgrounds, etc. But when you win those races and you see that development come to fruition and you get to share that with, you know, we have very manageable groups. I would say 45 partners per group, friends and family wind up coming out to the races too. But the groups are very manageable, and you become part of something that you can be proud of. Can you you can be proud of connection to the horses, and then winning those races. You know, it, it's very cliche that there's no feeling like it, but it's absolutely true. If I can jump in here for a second, uh, Joe, you know, I I, th- I told you previously, uh, I have a family member, Mabel. Shout out to Mabel, uh, who's interested in this now. Uh, for someone like Mabel, we've discussed her often, and there's other people like her. Maybe talk for a little bit about the trainers that you use, like Michelle Lovell, who, you know, as we know, that's our queen, right? And, and Greg Foley. So we know these guys, right? We know how good they are. But for someone like her or some other people who think about getting there, maybe explain to them why you picked these guys. Yeah, that's a great question. So our program and the way we do things in, in the first partnership, we tried to claim, well, we did claim a couple of horses, and, you know, we think we could do really well in the claiming game, although that has changed in recent years, you know, with these claimable horses, 20 claims in the box, horses getting taken out of Kentucky circulation and winding up at uh, different venues throughout the country. You know, something's got to be done about the way the claiming game operates right. currently. We, we're not a revolving door. And I understand for anybody that wants to get in a partnership and wants constant harness racing type action, you know, we we build a connection with our horses. We give them every opportunity to succeed. You know, we've had some horses claim from us, including, you know, Eskin Ford, Kenny, who's one of our, you know, the horses that put us on the map. That was not easy for a lot of our members to to lose that horse, but we still keep track of them. You know, we're just not a revolving door. That being said, you know, Michelle Lovell and Greg Foley and his team, they don't push the horses hard. They take their time. We're not a precocious partnership. You know, our two-year-olds aren't going to be starting in April, May, June. We have three two-year-olds currently with the uh, – the partnership in which we bought yearlings, the, the one you guys are involved in, Brilliant Four, none of them has made a start yet. They're all on edge to make starts September, October, November, and we're taking our time with them because if you push them too hard, there's a better chance they can get injured. You know, trainers that have 42-year-olds in their barn or owners that have 10 two-year-olds, they can afford to push on them a little bit harder and maybe see which ones can – you know, swim when they're thrown into the water because they have a lot of different horses they can rely on and they can cycle them back through the barn and give them time when they need it. We want to give our horses every opportunity to succeed and 
Give them the time they need. If there's a little issue, we're going to back off on them and give them every opportunity to realize whatever potential they have. And Greg and Michelle are perfect fits for that type of operation. They take their time. You're not going to see either one of them win first time out very often. We've seen what Michelle can do with a two-year-old like Damon's Mound, who's one of the most talented horses in the country uh, right now uh, for that age division. Greg Foley's had a horse in the Kentucky Derby two of the last four years, and that barn is doing as well as it's ever done. And not only are they great trainers that take their time, they're great for partnerships because you can go back to the barn, visit the horses. Travis Foley, Greg's son, does a great job with the communication and dealing with the owners. Michelle is extremely accommodating, as you guys know, and to us that's a huge part of the ownership experience. Couldn't have said it better myself. Those two are fantastic. Travis does Travis does a great job, too. Tra- by the way, Travis got me on Morgan Wallen, by the way. I've been listening to a lot of Morgan Wallen because I know they got a really nice horse named Somebody's Problem. Uh, so if anybody's out there, Morgan Wallen fans, I'm on board now. And I'm getting sidetracked. But, yeah, you mentioned Damon's Mound. For those people that don't know, I mean, I know our listeners do and a lot of people, but people are outside the sport. Michelle's actually training one of the quote-unquote Kentucky Derby favorites for 2023 at this moment. I mean, She's talented. Greg is talented. They're wonderful people. And the communication, the transparency, these guys, the, the information is just, it's un, it's unreal. And I would encourage anyone to do this. That's why uh, I hope some other people join in for a brilliant five. Yeah, we welcome anybody to reach out to us if they have any questions. We've put together what we believe is, you know, right there with uh, anyone else in the industry as far as the standard goes. For promotional materials, we answer every question you could yes. possibly think of within those materials. And if you have any other questions, you know, Brandon, Natalie, myself are available to, to answer any of them. We want people to be comfortable going into this and we want people to know what they're getting into and recognize the fact that you shouldn't look at this as a financial investment necessarily. Like I said earlier, you could do great with, uh, one of the horses, all of the horses, you can have setbacks along the way, uh, but the experience is, is certainly more than worth it. And, you know, you just got to have the right perspective going in. Yeah. Well said. CC? Yeah, I'll add to this. Full disclosure, uh, Brandon, Allen, and myself are members of Brilliant Four. And I'll echo what Brandon said. I think we uh, we're having an awesome time. Uh, this is uh it's a full it's an educational experience to say the least uh, from start to finish uh there's nothing like horse ownership it's uh i've never served in the military but it's probably the closest thing that i'll know to to going into battle uh, the, the, minutes, <laughs> the minutes before a horse race it's uh it, it, and like joe said if, if you're investing in this to make money then then you're in the wrong game because uh the this is all about the experience there's no there's you know horses they get injured they die unfortunately i mean i've been around cattle and pets all my life and that's what happens to them they 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 you don't know what they're uh they're thinking or or or, you know you just you you trust in your trainers to take care of them but uh as as you guys mentioned the the yearlings that uh, you guys are going to pick out are going to be in great hands uh and with trainers that don't hold anything back. Uh, no. We've been with, in the past, I've, I've been associated with trainers that uh, 
just want you to show up on race day and and everybody in the world will bet the, bet your horse and you won't have any information at all and then if they win you're, you're you've been left out in the cold and if they lose you probably bet a lot of money on them so but it, that's not the case with uh, brilliant no you're you're in the know from start to finish and uh i can't uh i can't recommend them enough so but uh uh guys anything else you want to add on the on on brilliant racing before we switch gears We'll switch gears. I would say, like, and it, it, you try to get back to the barns. We go back to the barns all the time and see the horses. I mean, it's it's. Uh, you said Michelle and the Foley's are very it's just incredibly accommodating. So this ain't a deal where you won't get to see her. You'll get to see your horses if you want. Go back there, and then of course, Brilliant does some some different functions for their members and stuff too. So it's an interactive experience, wouldn't you say, Joe? And inter- you know, you're you're up close in this bad boy. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it earlier. The the accommodation. Uh, on the backside, not only at Churchill, but fairgrounds. I mean, that's another big part of this. You know, Michelle goes to Colonial in the summer. The Foley's stay here in Kentucky. They both go to fairgrounds. So we have a pretty consistent circuit between, you know, Kentucky and uh, the winters in Louisiana. And, you know, Travis gets it. He, he operates tag team racing. He involves himself with a lot of partnerships. He understands what's important. You know, obviously the finances are first and foremost because you couldn't own the horses without them. But, you know, not every horse you're going to buy is going to be a horse that, you know, comes to the fore and winds up being the one to provide an exceptional level of excitement. You're going to you're going to eventually buy some slow horses along the way. You're going to buy some other horses that are going to win multiple times. But no matter what horse you have. That experience outside of race day should be as good as it can possibly be. And like I said earlier, Travis and Greg Foley and their team and Michelle Lovell, I mean, they understand that. And, uh, you know, they want to be there for you. Any questions that you have? Uh, race day is always super exciting. The aftermath, if things don't go well, we're going to do our best to explain to you why. You know, there's always an excuse from a trainer, always an excuse from a jockey, but uh, we want to be as real with you as possible and uh, let you know what our horses are capable of and try to put them in the best position to succeed. Cool. All right. Okay, guys. Uh, Saturday is uh, probably the biggest day of the short Kentucky Downs meet. A lot of stakes races, a lot of important horses. This may be the most important day of racing in Kentucky Downs history. As this actually, uh, these races may have a, uh, an impact on the Breeders' Cup. So what we're going to do, we're going to cover the late pick five. But, uh, guys, if anybody's got a horse in one of the first seven races that you want to talk about, uh, feel free to chime in right now. Well, I'll, I'll, before I do that, I would just mention that Joe's been on, Joe is the <clears throat> analyst for Kentucky Downs. Uh, he gets a, Put aside the, the 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 chair for a minute and actually could just be a handicapper and he's on he's been on fire this meet y'all Joe knows his stuff at Kentucky Downs so that's why one of the reasons he's here so congratulations on a good meet so far Joe and hopefully you can help us out here going forward tomorrow right is that your guarantee is that what you're guaranteeing uh, you guys have been around this game long enough that there's no <laughs> such thing you know people always ask me you know give me your lock or I know they think we know more than we do but. I was a morning line maker at Kentucky Downs for a long time. I think I got a good handle as much as you can on how the racing plays out. 
My win percentage there is never going to be high. I'm never going to have seven win days. But I am going to have a $40 winner here and there. I am going to have some 16 18 $22 winners along the way. And, you know, sometimes you don't know when those are going to pop up. So you do need some good fortune. But like we like to say on the year, if you get them right, you're going to get paid. And it's never been more true at a racetrack than it is at Kentucky Downs. Yeah, that's you're exactly right. Now we'll throw out one horse real quick. This may be a mistake, so maybe I'll wait. Yeah, I think that's the stakes. I'll wait on that one. There's a horse in the second race. It's got a little possibility to me. It's not a very good field. Uh, Safi Joseph and Edgar Zayas teamed up right in the first day of the meet in the last race with the horse. You could tell they were prepping at Gulfstream to come up here and get the money for the for the Ramses. And that horse won. Uh, there's another horse that's kind of close to that. It's come up a bad race, but Safi and Zayas team up again in the second race. There's a horse called Hell's Kitten. May, it's not the toughest field. The first timers may be alive in that race, but I'll, I'll maybe take a look at Hell's Kitten. Do you have anything there, Joe, early on? Yeah, I got three top in that race for Norm Cassie and uh, Deuce Greathouse, the owner. Uh, I thought the debut was better than it looked, so the winner was good. The dam was a talented miler. Hasn't been much of a producer so far, but was intended for the turf on debut and ran it better than it looks third uh, that particular day. Should benefit from the experience. And then just in these early races, I would say Final Bell in race three at 9-2 to two for Mott. Looked like a winner at Ellis last out and got run over by a very nice filly in Miss Yearwood. And uh, third race of the form cycle, I think this is a horse that will appreciate the slight cutback to a mile with some tactical speed. Uh, that would be a horse that I'll be focusing in on in the early races on a, a huge 12-race card. There you go. You get some bonus coverage there, folks. All right, CC, hit him with the stakes. Well, hold on. I, I've got one in race oh, four. Okay, yes. Let's have yeah, it. Yeah, I've got a couple, too. Okay. All right, race four, number one, she's all class is a daughter of Gunrunner and uh, with a turfy pedigree. They only gave 60000 for her, but that was last summer. That was before the Gunrunner craze uh, uh, started. This filly finished seventh of nine at Saratoga. Maker rarely does well first time out of the box. Uh, second time out, we're getting Lasix. We're getting a Rad Ortiz. And I went back and watched that debut run. She was far back. She was so far back. I just treated it as a workout with, uh, she was side by side going around the turn with a Chad Brown filly that, uh, was eight to one. I mean, she wasn't well regarded, but uh, she's all class from about the three eighths pole home. She outworked this, uh, Chad Brown filly, probably two links. And it just looked like a nice prep for something like this. And we know makers does well here. And I don't think you're going to get a good price. But she's all class for me in race four. Sweet. All right, Brandon. Yeah, I was, you know, back to race. Uh, well, yeah, race one. I like the horse number seven, Goodhart. Now, not really on the pedigree play, but if you look at Brendan and how he's been working this horse, and his debut stats are really low, but to see two really great gate works of a, of a Brendan Walsh first-time starter, I don't typically see that. Uh, I think this horse has got a chance to disrupt kind of the card uh, at the beginning because I think there's probably six horses that can probably probably win in race one. So I thought for a, for an angle and for a price that this horse can get a 
get a route of ground around the, you know, the grass there at Kentucky Downs, it'd be a heck of a way to start out a, a pick three or a pick five. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's dig in. Uh, race eight is the ladies turf. $750,000. Half of it goes to Kentucky breads, uh, or well, excuse me, 375,000 if you're a non-Kentucky bread. 750 if you're Kentucky bread. That's awesome. Little difference. Little difference. Yeah. <laughs> so this race features the rematch of the Beverly D held at Churchill Downs for the first time with uh, number one, Delica, who is a, by now she's an old pro, eight for 28, almost a million dollars in earnings. And also the runner up in the Beverly D was Princess Grace, the eight horse from the Stidham barn. Uh, another, uh, highly uh, another mare that's just had a spectacular career, seven wins and 12 starts and over a million dollars in earnings. So, uh, we've got a matchup here between those top two, two mares, but, uh, there, there's some others in here. Uh, Joe, we'll, we'll go to you first uh, and, and just, uh, tell us who you like in the ladies turf. So one important note for tomorrow, the rails are coming down for the first time at the meet. Now, last year, when the rails came down, you normally think to yourself, okay, the rails are down. There's going to be two or three fresh pats of grass on the inside. That's where you're going to want to be. But last year, and I know you guys have been to Kentucky Downs, uh, CeCe and Allen, when, when you look at that turf course, it's not like looking at a Southern California putting green. The grass is really long. <laughs> yeah. And when they take the rails down, that grass on the inside, last year at least, and the course isn't playing as much outside and off the pace as it was last year at all. In fact, it's been a little on the forward side. But last year, that grass on the inside was longer, and the outside was packed down, and the outside wound up being the place to be when they brought the rails down. Now, we'll, again, well, this year seems to be a little bit different than last year. Seems to be a little bit different than the year before. You really try to get try to get a handle on it, but do pay attention to that potential angle, which could hurt a horse, obviously like Delica, who's got speed and got the rail. Now, I think Princess Grace was the better horse in the Beverly D. Uh, she was kind of spinning her wheels off the turn. Delica came back on her, and this is a horse you know that beat Delica in the Ladies Turf last year. And, man, if you go back and watch that replay, she was severely compromised. And it was on a Saturday, September 11th, and my notes say inside pass, higher on the grass, strong outside and off-the-pace bias. She broke slowly, and you'll see in her past performances, she's almost always in a good stalking position. She was last in the early stages of that race. She had no business winning. She still won. And now she's got a cozy outside draw. She probably should have won the Beverly D, proven on this course, you know, obviously. And, you know, she has better tactical speed, uh, but can also sit a little bit off the pace. So I think she's squarely the horse to beat. If I'm throwing in long shots, Sunny one for Connor Murphy, who's won two it. of her last three, and she had trouble in that race at Churchill. She's class compromised compared to this group, but she's going to be 50 or 70 to one, and she's better than she looks on paper. Uh, that would be my long shot in the field. But, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, seeing what Princess Grace can do when she's uh, in the position to defend her title. And I saw, Alan, where you tweeted about Lady Spice Fear earlier. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've got the early scratches or not, but uh, 
If you don't, I'm about to disappoint you. Oh, okay. She out? She's out. Ah, damn it. I thought that was, that was free money there for me. I was like, that was in the single. I was, that was going to be my contrary single in this potentially chalky single. Oh, well. Yeah, stole, stolen holidays out of that race too. Well, well, with all that said, you actually provide a lot of good info there, Joe, because that's the kind of things you just don't get from touts on Twitter, right? The, the, the information you gave us about the turf courts, those are important facts. And the reason I liked Lady Spice Spirit, because I was going to toss the Beverly D at Churchill, because that, that, the, the turf course was wonky that day. We know that it played a front end speed and it was just, it was completely against closers in those only, it was a two race sample. So I really did like Lady Spice and Emma Jane Wilson, but now I guess I don't have a selection. I will default to uh, your Princess Grace, I suppose. But I do like the the, the notion of Sunny One because Sunny One won out here last year. It might have been Starter Company, I think, but the horse has actually validated that effort with a couple other good wins since then. And this field's gonna be decimated a little bit with the, with Lady Spice through affection, so on Holly's affection. And I'm I'm a Vincent Shemino fan, and you get him at a price, I would always keep that in mind on the turf. So. I'll default. I will uh, defer now. Brandon, you got anything you want to add? No, I think Joe and Alan really put that race in perspective. The only other horse, and I know she has really terrible stats and on graded stakes race, but I like Flippant uh, for a price. I don't think the miles really the distance, but I could be totally wrong. Uh, The horse ran competitively. They dead heated against Indy Woods. So that makes me think that they can compete uh, on the same level. I think Raphael coming back on aboard is a big help, and I'd like to see this horse do something uh, within the exotics. Uh, but there's some just some tough horses here. I'm a big fan of Delica, so there's only two horses I'm choosing in this race, which is Delica, Flippant, and uh, uh, the Joe's uh, pick, uh, Princess Grace. I'll say this real quick about Flippant, that Indiana race. But she dead heated with Handy Woods. She had a much tougher trip than Handy Woods, and she galloped out in front of her. So if you're just looking at that race, trying to figure out Handy Woods versus Flippant, the Flippant's going to be four times the price. Now you might be on to something. Can't hold that Southern California race against her. Those are some some beasts she ran against out there. Going global, right. yeah. Uh, about, go ahead, Cece. I was going to say, what about uh, Country Chick? <laughs> I remember when that horse won at 120 to one several years ago. Now it's showing up in the stakes race. It's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, before we go on to the next race, we want to add number nine, Stolen Holiday, is scratched too. Yeah, that's did, what he said. Did, did you say that? Okay, I, I didn't hear that. Okay, okay. Moving on. Uh, race number nine is the Turf Sprint, Grade Two, one million dollars. And if you're a Kentucky bred, you're in for the full million dollar pot. If not, you're running for roughly $550,000. And go to the far outside, number 12, Arrest Me Red with Arad Ortiz, Wesley Ward. This horse won the turf sprint on Oaks Day at uh, Churchill Downs. And last start was uh, run down by Casa Creed in the Jiper Stakes on Belmont Stakes Day. Casa Creed is now a dual grade one winner this year. Uh, He went on to win the four-star Dave. At Saratoga. So, Arrest Me Red's probably going to be a heavy favorite in here. But, Joe, can we beat him? Well, you do get some more speed drawing in with the Artemis City Limits because of the scratch of Gregorian Chant. So, that's a decent piece 
of information mm-hmm. there could uh, change the complexion a little bit. I'm partial to a horse that won this race a couple of years ago, totally boss, September 7th of 2019, uh, defeated Smart Remark, who was a huge long shot, and his stablemate, Leinster. Now, his form doesn't look great since then, although he nearly won the grade two shaker, Tom, at Keeneland in July of 2020. That race at Churchill in late May this year was visually impressive. And the race at Alice Parko in five and a half furlongs last out, I know we lost, but he was shuffled back. He was seven wide in the turn. He followed home the winner all in sync, who's in this race as well, ran every bit as well as him. And I think the six furlong distance suits totally boss. He's had success on the course. And that Ellis Park race just seemed like a perfect prep for this race at Kentucky Downs for Rusty Arnold. Now, he's 12-1 to 1 in the morning line. I don't think you're going to get that. I think 6-1 to 1 would be more than fair. There are some other horses in here that I like a little bit, uh, including some horses to the inside. Arzak, who's been running against Bound for Nowhere and Golden Pal. Tough to dismiss his chances. And then Necker Island. Now, I know he's run twice on turf and hasn't hit the board. Ran at Kentucky Downs last meet, but that was a two-turn race. This horse is in the best form of his career. That was a tough DQ at Colonial last time. The elongated sprint distance is exactly what he wants. You look at his pedigree, hard spun Mr. Greeley, and you say maybe he should be running on turf. He's 15 to 1 in the morning line. He's going to be finishing. Uh, that would be the horse that uh, I would use as a potential long shot. In a great betting race like this, man, and I know the morning line favorite arrest me, Red, has the credentials. But nobody in this race should be nine to five. Yeah, yeah. One thing I, I give Joel a lot of praise is one of the better handicappers out there. And I think a lot of the reasons is maybe it's kind of a I kind of agree with him a lot of times. You know who he picks. I'm with him here on Totally Boss. I like Totally Boss here. I do think Arrest Me Red is the deserving favorite, and that his two races, last races have been fantastic. But man, Totally Boss come back at Churchill, and that race set up for him that day. They all went to the front, so Totally Boss. Would have had to fall down to lose, but he went by those horses like uh, like he's supposed to. Looked visually great, and then he did. And uh, Joe mentioned it. He got kind of hung out to drive a little bit of Ellis. It was a better race than look. I kind of hung wide. He went, and totally bosses on his game. He may be a little bit old. I don't know if he still got it in him to win a race such as this. But man, give me totally boss in this spot. I like Brand. I like Arzak a lot as well too. Uh, but you you went pick one. I'm gonna go with totally boss. I tell you what though, I do wish. Wish Michelle would put Just Might in this race. It's for a million bucks, and yeah. there's not a lot of speed in the race either. So, uh, you know, so, but you know, we'll see. Him. We'll see him in Kentucky. I thought this race was incredibly difficult because you've got some runners that have great form on dirt. They're going to try to bring it to the turf at Kentucky Downs, and uh, you know, even look at Bob's Edge number six, thirty to one, uh, Larry Jones trainee, and I mean, I think this horse. Could also have a good shot. Uh, morning line at 30 to 1, though, makes you double take. But, uh, you know, like we always say, don't pay attention to morning lines if you feel co- a, a conviction. But, uh, you know, Joel Rosario, the guy's been just on fire all year. He came out of Saratoga with 14 or 15 graded stakes wins. He's been to Kentucky Downs. He's already swept two big races at least uh, and taken all the money. Uh, I, my attention goes to him. I, I, I don't know who else 
really stands out to me because I think it's a it's pretty wide open. But I'm going to select chewing gum as my top choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's I, I, this is a tough race for me. I don't know where to go besides that. I don't have a real choice in here, but something you might want to watch in these Kentucky Downs races, like like Brandon mentioned, Bob's Edge. This would be a perfect prep for Keeneland. Bob's Edge has back numbers that could win greatest stakes races, and he and he has won stakes yeah. races. He's won greatest stakes races at Oakland. This horse is fast, and he's won the Keeneland Turf too, going short too. Yeah, and you just got to wonder, maybe this is a, a race that'll leg the horse up. You could get a lot of fitness running these races at Kentucky Downs. Watch this horse next time at Keen, maybe in like the Phoenix or something like that. He he could be be really salty in a, in a spot like that. So let's go race 10 now is the feature, the feature of the meet. It's a Kentucky Turf Cup, million dollars on the line. Mile and a half on the grass. This race is usually dominated by either uh, Mike Maker or Arklo, it seems, uh, over the last several years, although uh, neither one of those won the race last year. Imperador won the last won the race uh, last year uh, at uh, in an upset. But uh, this year we get a grade one winner in Gufo, who's coming off basically a two-week layoff to uh, ship down from Saratoga. He's 7-5 to five on the morning line for Christoph Clement and Joel Rosario, just won the Sword Dancer. At Saratoga, and uh, I'll let you guys know right now, I'm against this horse. Interested to hear what Joe has to say. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think he's one of the best, if not the best, American-based turf horse. Uh, American-based turf horses. And I think he was disappointing going into the Sword Dancer. They put the blinkers on him. He won. He's a true mile-and-a-half horse. He's Four for six of the distance. He's never run at Kentucky Downs, but I think he's well suited for it. And you just don't see Christoph Clement do this. I mean, I don't know anything about Otter Ben Stables. I don't know if it's uh, an ownership call, greedy owners maybe, but you know damn well going to the Breeders' Cup turf with the European influence in that race. You know, Gufo might be one of the best Americans, but. He's probably going to be the fifth choice in the field. He's the favorite here. Maybe they're looking to strike while the iron is hot. Clement does have an 18-race sample size of 1 to 14 days, 3 for 18, so not a bad percentage under those circumstances. And, you know, like I said, he won a grade one race last out against some of the better turf horses in the U.S. Now, is this a horse I'm going to single? Probably not. Is this a race I'm going to focus on tomorrow? Probably not, because I think the logical horses are the one that, ones to beat. Gufo, Arklo, uh, Red Knight, I think, a little bit at a price is a horse I'm interested in. He probably should have beaten Arklo in the uh, 2020 edition of this race. Had a nightmarish trip, wound up finishing second, coming off uh, a win for Maker. He's a horse I'm interested in at a price. And then with absolutely no speed in a mile-and-a-half race, maybe Temple is going to sit the trip. He's never won a Kentucky Downs, but he does have experience on the course, and he's going to be forwardly placed in a race that has absolutely no speed. So, I mean, I, I, I Kentucky Downs especially, you know, I don't like to back the chalk. I'm always looking to hunt bigger game. But this race uh, just seems super formful to me, and not a race, uh, honestly, that I'm overly excited about playing. And I agree on 
on every everything. It's goof on Arklo to me, but I, I'm not gonna. I can't play them with conviction. I don't have a strong opinion. Red Knight, I don't think it's gonna be anywhere close to fifteen to one. And how about a shout out to Gerardo Corrales? I mean, the guy is the most underrated jockey in the country. Price after price after price, and nobody ever seems to learn. Uh, and that's, I doubt you're going to get 15 to 1 on that horse. I'll mention one other horse, but again, the pace scenario makes this one a little tricky. Is kind of going back to what I mentioned a moment ago about that rate, the turf course at Churchill back uh, during that Arlington Million Day. I would not, I'm going to give admission office a little chance to run better than he did last time because, first of all, I think this horse wants the distance mile and a half because John Velasquez back. And to me, that last race was a toss. Because if you knew that turf, nobody was making up any ground that turf course that day. That was played at front end horses. So if, if you give that horse a, a mulligan for that race, maybe he can hit the board. And I think he will be more than 10 to 1. I think he'd be in the 20 to 1 range. So maybe keep an eye on admission office, maybe underneath. But, you know, I think the race goes to the favorites, like Joe said. Yeah, I, I want to depend on Arklow here. But Arklow hasn't won since May of 21. And I just, I've lost faith. I don't know. It, it it seems like, you know, second start of a form cycle this year that this horse should be really spot on. It's, you know, it's a bit, it's won twice and, and placed twice at Kentucky Downs. I mean, it seems like it's its favorite course uh, with only, you know, four tries, but I, I liked exactly what Joe said. I thought, I thought Temple uh, could definitely hang with this group. Uh, it, it gets the time off. Uh, coming in pretty fresh. I think when you're an older horse going a mile and a half or mile and three eighths, you can't be running once a month. I mean, this horse has got 36 starts, but you know, it's faced, it's faced Golfo before. And I, I, I think that this could be a big play and I like the speed up front. And as long as it doesn't get in the new tall grass from the rails coming down, uh, I would really like to see Temple win. I think Golfo is right. I, but, you know, to wheel back in such a short time, uh, prove me wrong. Go ahead. No, I'm against Goofo. Yeah, two-week two layoff on a ship to Kentucky Downs. He's got, I assume he's going to fly to Louisville and then take a van ride down to Franklin. And he he has strung together two wins before. But he's been disappointing several times, more often than not. I just, uh, I can't swallow short a short price on him. The horse I do like is number 10, another mystery. Oh yeah. From the Chris Block barn. And this mayor, I owe, I owe you two has produced a lot of turf winners. And this is one of them. I, this horse won at uh, Houston last winter in the Connolly stakes, uh, dead heated in, in that race with uh, Fantasioso. And I, yeah, I, I love playing Chris Block. I think he's a fantastic trainer and I think he usually has his horses prepared. So, and you get a Rad Ortiz aboard. I like another mystery, uh, the most, but, uh, uh, I will sprinkle him in with Arklow and Red Knight and Temple. Race 11 is the Lady Sprint, the Mint Lady Sprint, $600,000 purse. Uh, Joe, I thought I read something where, the purse would be upped to a million dollars if they got a grade one winner in this race. Have you heard that? Yeah, I think that's the case with Campanile. A couple of these races, but definitely this one, because I've heard uh, with Campanile in the field that that, uh, that is the case, although that's not indicated in the racing form or the, you know, your Brisnap PPs or whatever, 
you're looking at because obviously if she scratches, that would no longer be the case. Right. Gotcha. Well, Campanelli, Campanelli is the favorite eight to five on the morning line. Wesley Ward trains Rat Ortiz is the rider, and uh, she was last seen finishing third, beating three quarters of a length in the Platinum Jubilee. God save the queen. And uh, this is uh, probably one of the fastest fillies in training, uh, and she's uh, she'll be a heavy favorite in here. Joe, what do you what do you do with Campanelli? Or is it Campanelli or Campanelli? Yeah, I go by Campanelle, but uh, we'll let uh, we'll let Larry Colmus be the deciding factor, I guess. Uh, I mean, she just looks like she's too good. She's going to be a short price. Uh, not only third in the Platinum Jubilee, but that was a 24-horse field. So you got to give her a little extra credit for that. She was sensational in the Giants' Causeway at Keeneland. We ran Yes, It's Ginger in that Buffalo Trace on October 15th at Keeneland last year against Campanelle when – CC change of control one, and Campanella was six to five, and man, it was just a dr- absolute driving rainstorm mm-hmm. that particular day. And Campanella did not have a clean trip, galloped out way in front. I mean, she's supposed to win this race, but again, we'll look at some prices. You, you know, you talked about uh, Chris Block, CC, as uh, she can't sing, a horse I'm interested in, had a lot of success with her at fairgrounds when she stretched out. From the turf sprints to the two turn races, now she gets to cut back to six and a half furlongs, which is more like seven furlongs at Kentucky Downs. That elongated sprint, with which these cutback horses seem to do really well. And she had a trouble trip last time at Colonial. I think she's going to fly way under the radar. And then we'll see how speed is holding, because if speed is holding fairly well on the card tomorrow, I think uh, Creative Credit deserves a lot of it. She's won four in a row. She's the kind of horse that a lot of people are going to dismiss because she's a former 12-5 claimer. But she's super legitimate. I mean, that Indiana race was fantastic. The Ellis race last time, uh, that was a turf course that kind of favored horses coming from off the pace. And she went gate to wire and looked sensational doing it. Again, by this part of the card, you should have an idea as to how the turf course is playing. But uh, Tommy Pompal is great at getting a horse out of the gate, and uh, she's she's legit. So I'll be keeping an eye on her as well. Yeah, you know, sometimes in these races you try to beat these favorites and stuff, whatever. But this is one time. I think in the next two races uh, we may have layover favorites. Uh, in fact, that these horses lay over the field, I would almost argue, you know, this is more purse money. Campanelle may be dropping in class. Well, she is dropping in class, but it just happens to throw a giant purse. Uh, I have a hard time, and I'm someone who looks for prices. I'm having a hard time getting past Campanelle. I may look at this race from a vertical standpoint and try to pair somebody up with a horse underneath and some and try supers, yada, yada, yada. Maybe a nice run-on type horse, up-close run-on pace type horse, maybe start of iron, maybe at 10 to 1, or maybe even Toby's Hard at a monster price, who has been a bit of a disappointment this year, but could thread through the pack to maybe hit the board. Uh, but this race goes through Campanella for me. It's, it's, I'm already a little disappointed because the horse I liked earlier is scratched and I can't get around Campanelli's or Campanella, however you want to say it. But uh, I, I do think eight to five is not going to happen on this horse. I think this horse, even in this big field, I think this horse has to be, what do you guys think? Four to five? What do you yeah. think? Every bit yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the even money type range. Yeah. I mean, 
People like to play long shots at Kentucky Downs, but, you know, when there's a favorite with this kind of resume, people are going to gravitate towards it. Yeah, I mean, it, no, it's, it's Kentucky Downs, things happen and stuff, and I'd love to see one of these uh, hard knockers uh, beat, uh, beat her, but it's, it might be tough in this spot. Yeah, the only horse I'd like to add is In Good Spirits for Al Stahl and Johnny V. I, I think this horse has got a big chance cutting back to the six and a half. Uh, this horse has done very well against competition, just missing several times, being tight within the pack. I think it has enough early speed to maybe be on the top, top tier. Uh, but it, this is a really, really, really tough, tough race to me outside of Campanelle. All right, guys. Let's uh, move on to the finale. It's the Franklin Simpson Stakes, grade two, $600,000 purse. And uh, Campanelle, of course, is going to be a, a probably a factor in the Breeders' Cup if she goes on to contest that race, the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. And I think we've got another one here in uh, Big Invasion. And uh, Big Invasion has been talked about in the same breath uh, with uh, Golden Powell from the Wesley Ward barn, but big invasion uh, for Christoph Clement, Joel Rosario. This horse has won uh, six in a row and won a, uh, a listed stake at Saratoga in his last start. And uh, this horse is on a roll. Uh, looks like a standout in here again. And uh, Joe, uh, would you agree with that? This is a horse, uh, big invasion, probably uh, maybe a top three, top four choice in the, in the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. Yeah, I, I mean, it's tough. He's only a three-year-old. He's been facing three-year-olds all year. He's going to get to face three-year-olds again in this race. You know, we saw him at uh, Churchill in the William Walker where he was dominant. I think this is by far, for a plethora of different reasons, going to be his toughest task to date. Now, what gives me a little bit of extra confidence is that seven-furlong win at Belmont because obviously this is that tricky, elongated sprint distance at Kentucky Downs, and, you know, it's tough not to respect this horse, but I'm going big game hunting in this race with a horse I'm very familiar with and Call Me Midnight. Oh, yeah. All right. Won the Lecomte at the fairgrounds. I mean, he beat up the center on the square that day, and the Louisiana Derby didn't go all that well, and his form kind of declined after that. Keith DeSormo admitted he's got a little bit of a breathing issue and not having Lasix probably isn't the greatest thing for this horse. But, you know, since cutting back, he lost all in sync in consecutive races. Most recently, that was a, a three-year-old and up race. He's back in against three-year-olds. You know, and I know that uh, Brandon alluded to this earlier with some of the horses that, you know, he's liked on the card during the course of uh, this All-Stakes Pick 5. These cutbacks in these races are very intriguing and this horse isn't cutting back, but he did win at a mile and a 16th. And he ran five and a half furlongs last time, and that's too short for him. This six and a half furlong sprint distance at Kentucky Downs should suit him really well. He's 30 to one in the morning line. He's going to be an absolute bomber. I think there's enough speed to set it up potentially for an off the pace type horse here. And, you know, again, big game hunting for me. Uh, call me midnight. I don't know if he can win, but I, I, I am pretty confident that he's going to be a huge price. And we've seen Keith DeSormo win with big prices on more than one occasion over the course of the last 10 or 12 years. And uh, call me midnight, I think, 
is in the right spot as far as what he might want to do moving forward in his career. You don't get a lot of opportunities going six and a half furlongs sprinting on the turf, and, you know, maybe he'll take advantage of it at a big number. Man, Joe is bringing the noise and the funk with that 30-to-1 selection. I love it. And because I'm be like a little bitch and pick chalk again here because, I mean, a big invasion just, again, looks like a layover with his push-button moves, right? Uh, I kind of wonder, though, Joe, why, why is big invasion here? Is this because the pot? I mean, hey, we're in great form. Let's go down and get a bunch of money because we think we're good. Is it that simple or is there – it feels like an odd spot to me. It's just, but I know Clement runs down here. So you think that's what it is, is to go get the cash? Yeah, I mean, how many opportunities are there in the country for three-year-old turf sprinters, you know, in a $600,000 grade two race? You just don't see those kind of opportunities in the turf sprint division for the boys or the girls. So I, I think the horse is extremely well spotted as a great post, toughest task to date, uh, deserving favorite, like you guys mentioned, but uh, you know, the next one, most likely the turf sprint, is going to have to face older horses in an even tougher spot than this. So, you know, why not go for the big money in a, in a race like this? Well, let me ask you this. Uh, first off, big invasion 8-5, to five, that sure as hell isn't happening. I mean, the, the, again, 4-5 to five is, seems likely on this one to me. I mean, I may be wrong, but 8-5 to five isn't happening. Um, of the four favorites that have come up in these stakes races, Arrest Me Red, Gufo, uh, actually, Gufo's the lowest price of all of them on the morning line. It's Campanelli and Big Invasion. How would you rank these as likelihood? Who is the, the highest likelihood of winning of those four? How would you rank them? I would say Call Me Red by far as the least right. chance of winning. Um, I would say Campanelli probably has the best chance of winning, followed by Gufo, although I did pick that horse on top in that race as well. So pick two of the four of them, and then I put – Big Invasion third, only because this is going to be the toughest task that he's faced. He's never, you know, run over a course like this in his career. So uh, uh, that's the way I would rank him. Fair point. I could, I could see that. I'm actually looking at this. Big Invasion's only, only earned 440000 so far, which is amazing. He's earning three-year-old turf sprint, so that's part of that. So anyway, you guys got anything? I would just look at number eight, Sumter. Uh, again, a, a cutback. Uh, from a mile and a 16th last, it doesn't have, I mean, it's gridded place now with the grade three out of Del Mar, but, uh, Richard Mandela is a, this is a big shift to him. Uh, I, I think this horse has got a big shot. It looks like in the morning it's been training well, uh, definitely with great, great numbers and out of the, you know, over Del Mar, even though it's way different than out of Kentucky Downs, but, I would give this horse a shot. I think I think this six and a half is going to be really fast. This horse is going to be real fast. Um, and I, but but you know, outside of that, it it makes me wonder. You know, like like you know, like Joe said, big game hunt. You know, call me midnight, man. That's that's great. It's really got me uh, intrigued to see what this horse can do. And Keith Solmro, I'll never forget it being down at the fairgrounds. I think for the yeah, the Lecomp weekend and. uh and he won a, a, a nice graded race. What was that horse called, Alan? You picked it, and I did, and I lost my pick five. Call me midnight. It was call me. Yeah, midnight. it was call me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And so um, I was like, oh my gosh, you know. And uh, but you know, I don't know if the horse is going to take the grass too well, and in that particular course. So 
you know, that's my only knock really, but I like Sumter as a, as a alternative here. Uh, I like Johnny V on board and Richard Mandela, I think is a, is a great trainer and you get a high percentage of shipping with Richard. So, uh, we'll, Damn. We'll, we'll see. A little bit sassy, guys. Didn't that horse, is that the horse that won the Edgewood at Churchill? Am I right? <clears throat> the, is that what that dame of a Sumter did? What? I may be wrong about that. That sounds familiar, but I can't, I can't verify that. So it's not something close to that. Anyway, CC, you got anything? No, the only thing I'll add, I don't have anything smart to say in this race, but like typical, but after 12 races, you're going to have 12 races run on this turf course in the same path. True. True. You're going to have an eat up turf course. So if you like a horse like Big Invasion, if that's your lock, you've, you've got to be creative underneath because, you know, some of these horses are going to find the right path. Some of them are not. And you're going to have some chaotic results underneath. So don't, don't be too frightened to throw out a 50 to one shot. Just, just you know, you, not there, not ever, not ever. If you go big invasion with maybe uh, whoever whoever you like in second, say you like Call Me Midnight, just hit the all button in third and then reverse it. Play big invasion with all with Call Me Midnight. Make sure you get it. If if Call Me Midnight runs his race, then you're going to hit a pretty decent exotic. So yeah, just keep that in mind. Fair enough. Uh, last order of business, Joe. Tell us about uh, the Churchill Downs meet coming up. Yeah, I mean, looking uh, super forward to it. We open Kentucky Downs last day racing is this coming uh, coming Wednesday, and then we open for Twilight Thursday the following night. Uh, Twilight Thursday is obviously always fun if you're in the area or feel like taking an early fall vacation. I mean, you guys can speak to this. It's beautiful in Kentucky this time of year. Yes. Uh, you've got the – Road to the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Oaks starting in the, the Iroquois and the Pocahontas at this coming meet, you know, and it looks like Damon's Mound is going to run. Uh, it's a short September meet. In fact, uh, it ends on Sunday, October the 2nd. I think Downs After Dark is the second Saturday of the meet. If you want to come for the social aspect, we'll have some great races on that day too. Then we go to Keeneland after that, man, lead up to the Breeders' Cup and then back to Churchill for the November beat. And, you know, there's no turf at uh, Churchill in September, but we're really not going to miss it. With all the races at Kentucky Downs and Keeneland having the turf in October, you're not even going to know it's gone because we never raced a lot of turf in September anyway. You know, a lot of good two-year-old races in September and November. Uh, the, the quality of racing should be absolutely phenomenal. So, Looking uh, back, to, looking forward to getting back in the driver's seat with uh, Scott and Caitlin and Brandon and James and having some fun and picking some winners. Hey, I got a question for you, real quick. Uh, what's going to happen to the broadest balcony? It's gone, isn't it? The, the, the gold room balcony. Ah, uh, man, I was out there the other day. The the, the broadest balcony and where our set used to be. I mean, it's uh, it's. No longer functional, let's just put it that oh. way. So I don't, oh. I don't exactly know what to expect as far as, uh, you know, the accommodations in that particular area. The gold, you know, the gold room is still hopping, but that's indoors. So I'm not, not exactly sure what that balcony access is going to look like. Uh, you know, there's a lot of construction going on right now, but they're going to get everything cleaned up before opening day. And as far as functionality, I'm not quite so sure. 
Hey, maybe Brandon could get us a suite. Yeah, Brandon's got connections. Uh, yeah, I'll be at home with the baby, probably. Well, not. we'll oh, go in your place. God. That's one more seat for everybody else. Anybody wants to join us? Right? <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, don't let go's debuts coming up. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at Big Sur, maybe, you know, Keeneland, you know, funneling into the Churchill November meet. But uh, I got a feeling that Don't Let Go's uh, debut is going to be a very uh, festive occasion. And um, I think he'll run pretty well to get things started in his career. We think he's going to be a two-turn horse uh, moving forward, probably run him six and a half or seven furlongs first time, get him some experience. But uh, super exciting, and that should be uh, one of many great days at Churchill this September. So, you know, and Don't Let Go, just for people to know, that's, that's the brilliant four horse. It was actually we were pretty excited about. And it's Michelle Lovell trained that. Would you say that that's the best horse in Michelle Lovell's barn right now? <laughs> I, let's just say I wouldn't put him in a match race uh, against Damon's mom. You're such I a jinx. Okay being, huh? You're such a jinx. <laughs> I could I'd be okay if that horse was the second best horse in her barn, wouldn't it be? That'd be, that'd be completely fine. But uh, we're pulling for Damon's mound. We're, we're all pulling for Damon's mound. We're, we fangirl over that one. Yeah, I mean, the Iroquois is going to be a completely different test when you've got to send a horse two turns like that. And, you know, Gervin so far, I know he's moved to Kentucky, and I know he's a sire of Damon's Mound. And, you know, the jury's still out on him as a stallion overall. But then, obviously, he was a great two-turn horse. He won the, the Haskell. So you would think the stretch out would be an issue. But until they try it, you never really know. But, uh if Michelle legitimately gets on the road to the Kentucky Derby with uh, this horse, it's going to be that much more fun for all of us. Amen, brother. Amen. Probably just going to have to face Jace's road, too. That horse uh, was impressive at Ellis Park for the Outlaws and Brad Cox. Uh, I think they wanted to point to this race, too. So uh should be a fun should be a fun day of racing. Uh, I can't wait. But this has all been right. fun with Joe. This has been fun. He's he's yeah. the best. As always, Joe Christofek, very, 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 very informative. Uh, we always like to have him on. We always like to, to uh, say hi to him at Churchill and, and uh, look forward to a great fall of racing. So, uh, Joe, uh, we greatly appreciate you uh, joining us this afternoon or this evening. Yeah, always uh, good to be on. Uh, love supporting you guys because I love everything you guys do promoting Kentucky racing and uh, continue to promote you guys whenever I get an opportunity and uh, keep supporting the sport, man. We need like, Thousands more Brandon Jaggers, CC Broadduses, and Alan Schneiders uh, to really make the game as great as it can be. So thanks for all you guys do. Thank you for the kind words. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, b- before we go, uh, Brandon, I guess we'll see you maybe in another four or five months. <laughs> I'll try to get up here uh, maybe with baby in tow. Uh, I don't know if she'll be speaking in the first couple of days, but we'll see what happens. I bet if I can get a cry, we'll we'll put that on the pod. Cool. cool. All right. All right. Sounds good. Okay. So on behalf of Joe Christofek and Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers, this is CC Broadus reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.